Monaco and Culture is brought to you in association with the all-electric 2024 Cadillac Lyric. Magnificence electrified. The Cadillac Lyric delivers a sporty, responsive and agile drive that makes every mile a milestone. This groundbreaking Ultium EV battery platform fundamentally changes how electric vehicles are engineered, delivering charging and power storage technologies that fit seamlessly into far-reaching journeys and daily commutes. The Lyric is a vehicle that balances the sensual and the technical in masterful harmony, where rhythm, form and colour unite. From emergency braking to intelligent alerts, parking assistance to vehicle monitoring, the Cadillac Smart System suite of safety and driver assistant features, standard on the Lyric, means you'll drive with added confidence. While innovations like available supercruise driver assistance technology and Google built-in set a new standard for technical prowess. Take the next step. Head to Cadillac.com now to configure your car. The all-electric 2024 Cadillac Lyric. Magnificence Electrified. Hello and welcome to the Monocle Culture Show with me, Robert Bound. Summer is here, he jokes. And with the new season always comes the summer exhibition at London's Royal Academy of Art. This is the world's largest open submission show and has been running for an impressive 251 years. Last year's was a vivid and playful anniversary show curated by Grayson Perry, a hard act to follow. And the man who's been handed that tricky baton is the British painter Jock McFagin. And the exhibition comprises over a thousand works of art by emerging new talent and some big names. This year you'll find Tracy Emin, Jeremy Della and Cornelia Parker among hundreds and hundreds of others. And to decide whether this year's offering is any good, I've enlisted the help of Ossian Ward, Head of Content at Listen Gallery, and Eddie Frankel, Art and Culture Editor at Time Out. Guys, lovely to have you around the desk. This, Hello. This summer. It's nice to be here. It's a summer's day. It's a, it's a summer's day. We're all wearing at least three layers here in Studio One. We're talking about the summer exhibition. Against which do we need more insulation? The unseasonable cold and rain or some of the art on display. Both pretty chilly. <laughs> um, well, it's it's what that, that place was made for, you know, to be hung sort of nuts to, you know, suits Careful. and nuts. Well, you know, just to be hung to the rafters with yeah. these works. That's why this yeah. place was built 250 years ago. So sort of like that's what it's for. And I love the fact that it's there for, not entirely for the Royal Academy schools, but it, it pays for... Uh, the provision of a really great art school, which is the only free art school, as far as I know, practically in Europe, you know, unless you're in a country that's civilised and doesn't charge for these things. But, yeah. you know, they, they pay for the Royal Academy School. So everything's for sale. Everything's got red dots on it. It's kind of painful to go through it. But I'm not really sure what to make of the central artist. So you begin in Jock McFadden's room, which is full of animals it's like this bestiary so this is the this is the menagerie room it's the first this yeah. is the hexagonal opening room that you enter yeah i mean it's kind of a good joke about people who like to paint their dogs and Should we say it's raining cats and dogs well that, that's what people think the summer <laughs> exhibition is it's people's painting fluffy kittens and sending them in and that you know that, yeah. that so it's a kind of a joke on that but then it doesn't elevate that narrative much beyond what you think it is there's some sculptures of 
this kind of animal kingdom in the middle of the first room. And, you know, there's stuff to keep you entertained, but then it's also sort of slightly diminished by the fact they've got these amazing photographs by Hannah Collins in the back of, like, where Nelson Mandela grew up. And it's so incongruous. And that's the problem with this show is that you can't go, like, two feet without thinking, oh, yeah, why did they do that? I suppose there is something about the way that it's it's hung, the, the salon hang, where everything from the you know, from the skirting board up to the frieze is is sort of stuck in. Is it possible? I mean, we we were talking before, before we switched to microphones on about last year's success story, which was the two hundred fiftieth anniversary of it. Grayson Perry did it. It was very kind of tongue in cheek and funny and good. Is it possible? Eddie to curate a show like this and how successfully can you go about it I wonder I think part of the problem is that it's not just the silly paintings of kittens by housewives you know out in Lancashire there's your weekend watercolourists yeah, yeah which would yeah. be a lot of fun if it was sort of pure amateurism and it, and they just filled the place with it so, you know floor to ceiling loads and loads of stuff instead it's been thought through a little bit and the stuff they have picked is lots of sort of blokes doing uh, thoughtful landscapes with a bit of graffiti in the background and you go ooh <laughs> very <laughs> gritty <laughs> <laughs> there is so much gritty urban art in there. It's kind of what Jock McFadden does. <laughs> exactly. But so I think part of the problem is that if they'd had as much fun with it as Grayson Perry had, where he put in stuff that was mm. plain ugly mm. and plain bad, and it was a lot of fun and a lot of playful, that would have been really good. Instead, this is a sort of return to what it was in its 249th year, which yeah. was a bit more serious, uh, a bit more considered, and that makes it an awful lot less fun. And the only thing that's good about the, the summer exhibition is when it is fun, and this just wasn't it. It's a funny thing. Last year, one artist had a sort of overview of the whole thing, took it under under his wing. This year, individual artists and cur- have sort of curated some of the rooms. What do we think about that? Does that kind of ring true? Does that make something that's quite confusing anyway even more confusing, Eddie? I don't think it makes it more confusing, but I think it... You are scratching your head. Yeah, but it does <laughs> no. make it uh, make it into a situation where you end up liking some artists more than the others. And some of them have been incredibly earnest and some of them haven't. And uh, I think Bob and Roberta Smith had a lot of fun with his room and I think that's the best room in there because it's colourful, it's playful, there's a there's a bit of fun going on, he's got his own work in there. The rest of it is oh, I can't remember who did the the room with all the urban paintings and all the urban drawings of cities. Yeah. And they're thinking the I think it's, it's two of them did the, is this did the huge room, is this the huge room with the Vim Vendors that huge photograph of Vim Vendors uh, is that the one you mean now? maybe but it's, it's two curators who did it uh, together and there's something about it where they've thought really earnestly about the depiction of the urban landscape and how the the earth is changing and climate change and it's so serious and it's so it's just there terrible. is there is another yeah. bit I think it's Barbara Ray and it was that point that I was like okay icebergs puffins whales oh and there's a dodo Okay, I think I understand what's going on here, you know, and that was like really troweling on. But I did quite like Jane and Louise Wilson. Yeah, they clearly didn't get the memo about stuffing it full of work because there's one room. I mean, it's the smallest room in the place and probably the nicest experience because not full of other people. Only five works in there. And, you know, that's kind of it suddenly feels like you can look at things again, although there's also a sort of James Terrell on one wall, which spoiler alert, it changes color if you spend a lot of time in there. But I did. So I was actually spending quite a lot of time in this small room with some little prints about architecture and Le Corbusier and Michael Craig Martin, who seems to be all over the show. But, yeah. you know, so I felt like when you more sparing or, or the theme is not so obvious, then you can actually do things. You can get away with uh, things. I felt like 
if you're hanging them right up to the rafters, as some of them did, and there's even this kind of slightly painful hang where he's tried to make uh, sort of like strips of paintings all along, you know, they're sort of hung in this visual style, really doesn't work. And I feel sorry for the people who are right at the top, you know, number 1053. You can't yeah. see them at all. You can't even see the number, so you don't know who they are. Uh, the only person who was um, not sort of given such short shrift was Anselm Kiefer, who I noticed had a massive border around his work, and I don't know whether that was just because he demanded it or, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like probably the most serious work in there. That yeah, is, that is part of the problem that you encounter with the summer exhibition is when you when you do see the big names, they they stand out so strongly. So when you yeah. see the Anselm Kiefer or the Edward Bertinsky that's there, both of those are such yeah. beautiful works, and they're they're so much better than the things around them. Uh, I mean, what it what it triggered in me was I was wondering, do I think they're better because I know what they look like? So it's, you know, triggering something in me where, you know, I go, oh, art history, tick, I understand it. Yeah. And everything else isn't doing that. Or are they actually just better artists and the things around them are going to look worse by comparison no matter what? So they've got no shot. Who wants to be hung next to Anselm Kiefer? You know, <laughs> right. you, you know it's Dave, a tough one, Dave though, right? from Berry going, oh, no, I'm next to Keefe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bummer. Yeah. For our listeners... In foreign fields, what is the reputation of the summer exhibition? We've kind of had a bit of a chortle at its expense. We loved it last year, at least Eddie and I did. What's the reputation of it, Ossian? It's super British, you know. I can't, I can't say there's anything else about it that is more British. But I think you can still enjoy it for what it is. So I think by about room eight, I was like beyond, I couldn't do it anymore. And obviously... I was thinking they don't actually want us to review this like a show because you can't review it like a show. You can't really go through it and look at it intensely and engaging. It's like being an art fair, but it's even more compacted and somehow less curated and less selected even. But, you know, I saw something. I was like, oh, number 247, I could buy that. It's like 800 quid. And then, of course, I spoilt it by then Googling this person who then turned out to not be as interesting as I thought the painting was. So it's it's kind of more... As Eddie was saying, once you know who it is and it's very obviously mm-hmm. an iconic or a trademark work, you go, okay, yeah, that that's fine. That stands out as being good. When you get into the rest of it, it becomes harder to know because even if you really like something, you suddenly think, well, hold on a minute. what is this just because I'm a, a tourist looking in the wrong place and I'm thinking that this shirt looks good on me, but actually, you know, it's just compared to all the other shirts, it looks fine. <laughs> and I think that's the problem. I think it's not because there's no international perspective, you're not seeing lots of different artists from all over the world, you're just getting a very sort of slice, uh, thin slice. That That's why it doesn't elevate it beyond kind of, uh, you know, the summer exhibition. I, th- I think to an extent, you. This isn't an exhibition for our times, really, because the whole thing about very contemporary art, especially contemporary painting, is that context matters. And what the summer exhibition does is remove all context. So if you do see a painting that looks a bit minimalist and you think, oh, this could be an interesting artist, you take it on face value, it's interesting. And then, as Ossian says, you look into it and you go, oh, actually, this is incredibly dull because now I've seen the context and it's not good context. And context (laughs) is really important. And this removes context when context matters in art. We've all probably liked things. There are a thousand pictures in that exhibition or more. In fact, there's a lot more. 1,500. Yeah, 1,500 odd pictures. We're all going to like one of those things. We'd all hang one of those things in our, in, our, in our homes. Is this a place for actually finding emerging talent or is this 
Okay, Eddie. Tell, so tell us, what, <laughs> Eddie's shaking his head. But tell us why, because it's sort of meant to be. I mean, not emerging talent in the sense that you'd go to a gallery and you get, and there's a, a bit of hype about it. It's a kind of random exercise in a, in a way. Why isn't it the place to find emerging talent? I think partly it comes down to to the way it works, which is that it's all academicians picking the art. So you've got these yeah. a much older generation of artists. Which there's obviously nothing wrong with that, but they're picking things that they think people are going to be interested in. And I don't know if they're the best people to be picking stuff. So there's, like I said earlier, there's all these gritty urban paintings because they've obviously seen a trend in all the paintings that have come in and gone gritty, urban, graffiti, derelict. Oh, this is what people are going to love. So, yeah, Jock McFadden described this as art. So this is the quote, art that describes the world today. Is mm. that? Do you, and do you feel that this is merely a trend, the kind of yeah, the uh, urban landscape with the graffiti in the background, even a kind of vaguely rural landscape with a bit of graffiti on a, on a barn? Yeah, I mean, I noticed. Yeah, well. I, I don't. I don't think that's a trend. I think if you spend any time going to smaller galleries around London, or you go to any of the art school graduate shows, you'll see that the art that's being produced there is very different to what's being picked, and probably what's being sent in as well to the that's being submitted. So I, I, I think it's a very different world, and I, it feels like a generational thing as well, like as in not my generation. It sort of does, um, and some of the other some of the some of the cr- critiques in the British pr- in newspapers sort of picked up on that that's that thing of it could be a cross section of what is happening in British art at the moment and almost by accident I know Jonathan Jones wrote about this in the Guardian almost by accident it is saying it's a fairly moribund thing yeah. that uh, not at the maybe the top level in inverted commas but at the general kind of swathe of people that would call themselves artists or aspire to be there is a, a sort of lack of joined up thinking or a lack of uh, 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 of inspiration maybe i mean we're not the audience for it the audience were the people who are walking around they're the royal academy members they're people of a certain age and they're also a certain generation and they're buying things they're the ones who are there snapping up pictures to put on their wall it's yeah. kind of their annual treat you know and i think that's great because that also it's a horrible word to kind of say but it democratizes the process so it doesn't involve someone very sort of uh you know, avant-garde telling us what to like. It's yeah. just what it is. It's out there. Take it or leave it. And a lot of people are taking them and a lot of people are buying them. So I can't I can't really say it's bad from that point of view. Well, I, I'm quite, I wanted to ask you both this question, actually. In terms of the quality of the work, you can you as critics can disagree with me. I tend to think there's, there's the quality of the idea and then the quality of the execution, the quality of the craft of the painting or the sculpting or the, the work itself. Where are we in this universe in terms of some of the qualities of the ideas? You think something's a great idea, but maybe it's not done perfectly, or maybe it's a beautifully painted but dull picture. Do those things ever add up? Is there a, is there a, is there a difference between the quality and the idea here? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I I don't think the summer exhibition is a place for ideas because you haven't got the time or the context to understand the ideas mm. behind the paintings. So it's a place for painting, which is actually quite a nice thing. How nice is it as a critic to be able to walk in somewhere and just take things at face value? And what it does for me, which is a rarity, is it gets me to a point where I can dismiss things very quickly because I can take it at face value because face value is what matters because yeah. the ideas are gone. So I just go, nope, 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 yes, no, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 which is such a nice feeling. I have to spend all of my time thinking... <laughs> got Got Thought. need. It's yeah, the yeah. Panini sticker album of art. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and also you know the ones that uh, when I, I focused on the sculptures because they were the things that kind of took me away from that constant. There's Thomas Hausko and stuff that had worked. Yeah, and I really like that. You know, these two there were two little Tracy Emin uh, bronzes which are kind of hand size and mm. they're of a sort of reclining figure, but they were posted at kind of opposite ends of one gallery, so you sort of encountered them again as you walked through, and it was like these kind of sleepy sentinels just guarding the room. And I thought it was a really nice way of encountering these works. So you can, you can have moments, but I agree, it's just too 
too much too soon. We talked about Grayson Perry's successful curatorship of the summer exhibition last year, where it sort of took the mickey out of itself a little bit, quite a lot, actually. You as, as art critics and, and, and as writers and as people in working for galleries and things will have a, perhaps more of an arched eyebrow looking around this, obviously, than the average punter. That's a given. But can it laugh at itself, the summer exhibition? Or does it kind of dissolve completely if, if it kind of takes the mickey out of itself? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a great work by Cornelia Parker, which is, uh, I think, I can't say, but it's, it seems to be evolving every year. And it's a picture of, I think it's a blank photograph with some red dots on it. And then she takes a picture of it the next year. And then however many editions of it sell, <laughs> then she takes another picture of that. I can't remember what the title of the work is, but it's a sort of palimpsest. Yeah. And it keeps selling and it keeps growing and the, the work keeps changing. It, it's it's very funny, but it's also a great picture. It's, yeah. it's conceptual. You get it immediately. You don't need hours to think about it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think as a... Because of the way the, the Royal Academy is a big beast and it's run by the artists themselves who, who do all the selecting, I don't think you can, you can ask them all to do a Grayson. You can't say... You know, let's not take it so seriously, chaps, because some of them do. And actually, as a forum for the Royal Academicians and for artists of a certain age or a certain type, it's it's a big deal. And, you know, I know people who have submitted things and they get in and it's super exciting for them. Mm. And, you know, you don't want to kind of be the one to sneer at them and say, Pah, you know, it's not the real thing. It, it is. It's a big deal for them. I kind of thought actually that normally the architecture room is your kind of moment of calm in the mm. thing. But that felt very crowded. You could hardly walk around. It was a funny... I found the layout of the whole thing this year was strange. There were things in... There were rooms where there was nothing in the middle of the room where you could have had something quite large and interesting and there were just huge amounts of blank space. And then some of the rooms were absolutely madly stocked, like you know, like a stock, like a store cupboard. And then they put a, a couple of trees in the middle of the architecture room in case you didn't get that it was <laughs> yeah. about sustainability. <laughs> just, to, just to add to your sense of claustrophobia there. I couldn't figure out why there was so much Michael Craig Martin in it, every single Everywhere. room. Yeah. Why? What's he done? Who's he, who's he threatened? <laughs> 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 oh, I can't wait to hear the fan mail for this program. Um, that was the poor old Royal Academy summer exhibition. Right. Um, now, Ossian, we talked about Jonathan Jones's fairly s- sort of slaughtering review of it in the Guardian. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a new book out. It's called Sensations: The Story of British Art from Hogarth to Banksy. Is he on as impish form in this book as he was in that review? I mean, you know, there's been a lot said about Jonathan Jones and the love and the hate, and that's that's part of the problem. So he begins this book talking about hating this Banksy thing that he saw, but I've, I'm sure I've read that he's liked Banksy before. So he, hmm. he also hated the Banksy, which we didn't mention in the, in the, in the summer, summer exhibition. exhibition. But yeah. then he then says, oh, but then I was at this Banksy Dismaland thing in Bristol and I saw this Damien Hurst work and it was like a jewel. And it was like, well, hold on a minute. He used to say horrible things about Damien. So he's done a lot of flip-flopping in his time as an art critic. And while that's okay, you're allowed to change your mind, it makes it difficult to know where you stand with Jonathan Jones, like, where's he going to go from one minute to the next? So that was the trepidation I had with starting the book, actually. But he's got a really coherent argument, and the argument is more or less that um, instead of kind of doing the whole Britishness thing, which, um, you know, the book is called... Sensation story of British art from Hogarth to Banksy. Instead of really named for a wonderful exhibition at the Royal Academy some twenty five years yeah, ago, yeah, which or, is a, which is yeah. another reason why I brought the book because I, I remember you know sensations being the quintessential Royal Academy exhibition and you know where were you when that was on kind of thing and yet you know 
he's got he's blown hot and cold on those artists so especially Damien but there are a lot of them in here but his his argument is actually much wider and much more interesting which is that there's a sort of scientifical empirical idea that has driven British art ever since the kind of 1600s so whether it's Isaac Newton or Sir Christopher Wren that's then been kind of followed through and it's not a realism in art. He he calls it the sensationalism, which I guess is about the sensations of feeling and, and seeing things. But it's based in the real, the empirical. And it's kind of an interesting uh, yeah. topic. I, I haven't got to the end of it, so I don't quite know how he's going to flesh that out. But it, it, it makes for a refreshing... You know, I feel like Jonathan, when he's not doing, you know, the 200-word art criticism, can really find his form on something like this. So I'm hoping that the rest of the book will repay that and his argument is yes that europe was all about came out of the the art of you know religious art was we our art came out of yeah out of, it was a post-scientific a post yeah yeah that we're all kind of post-enlightenment yeah, yeah we're all exactly. sort of builders and makers and thinkers and rationalists rather than sort of esoteric or sort of you know mystical or religious which which does have an idea of britishness to it you know what what is it that makes british art but it feels like a different tack than the ones I've read before. Um, and he, he draws interesting uh, lines, I think, between Whistle Jacket, the, the yeah. Stubbs, famous Stubbs horse, which almost has an abstract, although it's such a realistic depiction and a beautiful one, and a horse that's making eye contact with the viewer, it's got an abstract background. There aren't any trees or there isn't a country estate in the background. It's just this kind of quite thick, gauzy, beige background. And he draws links between that and Damien Hirst's shark. And you know, showing the thing as it is, but in a in a sort of strange context, it's a pretty. It's quite a persuasive ride he goes on. Yeah, and I think he's much more comfortable in in that time. You know, let's say from. It's quite thin at the end when he's when he's t- going. He suddenly kind of we suddenly zoom up to that's Damien where, Hurst and Banksy. That's where you sort of think that maybe he's blowing cold on that period again. So you know, to say it goes up to Banksy is a bit disingenuous it's just a name to put on the jacket because he's not really that interested in in the last 50 years which is fair enough because i think this kind of idea that we came from the edward burks and the the christopher wrens rather than from this sort of mystical religious art and 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 you know he's got this idea of george stubbs's zebra as well which is like this myth it was a mythical creature but then mark wallinger turns it into uh this idea you know he also did a unicorn sort of George Stubbs, but made strange and reversed and made negative and somehow kind of made beautiful again. So I, th- I think there's definitely uh, something for this argument. You know, I don't know how it'll turn out, but I think it makes a change from reading that kind of um, love-hate prose that we get used yeah. to from Jonathan Jones. And, and fair enough, the summer exhibition takedown was, was great for what it was, but, you know, I, I don't think you can't, like follow critics like that because they're sort of difficult to love or difficult to trust maybe that's an interesting thing um do people if you you can like three works by damien hurst but not generally his out his artistic outlook is or do you have to be consistent as a critic eddie do you sort of do you know what i mean i mean do, well, i presume think... you can like works or series of bodies of work and they're yeah, under their own steam yeah i think it depends on how you uh, express your dislike or your like, and I, you know, I, when I was growing up and reading art critics, you always loved the takedowns and the harshness, or you loved the extreme love that they show to art. 
But actually, our job as critics is to consider and to be really kind and to always remember that whatever artist uh, has made this work, he or she has put a lot of time and a lot of heart and passion into it. And you have to give that back. So it's actually really exhausting. So I've, I've been to three exhibitions today and I feel knackered because I've had to try really hard to give some of that love back. And I think the dismissive stuff if you're being dismissive you have to be so sure of what you're doing and not because it'll offend the artist but because you owe the art and you owe the reader and like your job as a critic is to be generous of spirit and you can't dash it off in a bad mood no, no. and i was in a bad mood this morning and i had to be really careful to be like i don't <laughs> don't let the fact that my coffee went cold you know yeah. ruin your this wet shoes yeah yeah, it's a one star. So, I, so, so give the day one star and the art yeah. maybe four. So, I, so whenever I see someone being incredibly harsh about an artist, this happens a lot with the much older critics. I think uh, Ossian and I are a different generation where I don't think that's quite as acceptable to to do. But definitely the older artists, uh, the older critics, love going hard yeah. on stuff. And I just think... Mm, makes, makes for better copy. You know, it's like you either slam it or you praise it. But I think we probably grew up learning from a generation of maybe New York critics who were much more magnanimous, even-handed, very careful, thoughtful, and maybe it wasn't always quite so spectacular, but in, in a funny kind of way, it was it was real and honest and better to listen to. So maybe there is a weird Britishness to that kind of yeah. criticism as well. I suppose also it depends where your review is going. If it's going in a newspaper, although you are adding to the... The, 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 the sort of literature of criticism and how something will go kind of down in history there is also it's a, more of a call to action it's like should I spend 15 pounds on going to see this thing yeah and there is that which is yeah. different from working for art review or for freeze or for one of the actual art publications I suppose as well no you have to be honest because otherwise it's a waste of everyone's time anyway the book is Sensations it's the story of British art from Hogarth to Banks it's by Jonathan Jones it's out now published by Lawrence King Publishing um, Eddie you wanted to talk about maybe this was something you saw today Francis Bacon at Gagosian saw it last week amazing okay. so amazing had time to digest yeah I've, I've had time to think about it write the review and then reconsider my words and edit my review. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were in such a sunny mood last yeah, week, I'm I was, sure. I was in a much better mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's called Couplings, and these are, presumably these are the paintings of, of well, two men, two figures, him and George Dyer. Talk mm -hmm. us through Talk us through. Yeah, so it's, they're largely paintings of, uh, of men pre, during, or post-coitus, I suppose is the way to yeah. put it. Uh, and so it's very physical, very fleshy, very aggressive and three of them haven't been seen since the 60s or 70s two of them were done and then not shown but two of them were done in the year that homosexuality was legalized so these are really important works um and i was just so i'm so used to seeing bacon be a physical artist someone who when you look at his art you sense the physicality you yeah. smell the sweat you can smell the fear and the anger but to see that in a sexual world was just it was. It's so brutal. They all. Every figure. And these like are all. These are all sexual paintings. This is. It's not mixed thing. in as a kind of general kind of. No. Yeah. So the only paintings that aren't directly sexual. There's a painting of a man walking in a suit by himself, and then there's a couple of uh, single figures lying on couches, uh, but that again implies pre or post having done it, and it's it's just so. I was so shocked by the aggression in it, and the teeth are bad. And yeah. this isn't a romant. This isn't romantic sex. This is hospital bed, bare light bulb, uh, stains on the ground, brutal headlock sex, and it's just, you know, it 
it's overwhelming to be around. You, re- it, you, it's such a visceral painting, and it's. I think we talk so much about artists like him, as these sort of gods who could do no wrong. And I really want to be cynical and go in and say, no, 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 no. I can, I can call bullshit on all this. But then you, you're around it. And you, go, you see the pictures, and, and they're overwhelming. Yeah. Just I, just overwhelming. I saw it as well, and it was kind of quiet. I was like, where is everyone? This is the press view. It should be a big blockbuster show. And maybe they were expecting to see that Rembrandt at the end because the last show had a Rembrandt in yeah. it and I actually didn't like that show. But this show ends with a work in that same room, but it's much more interesting. I mean, the Rembrandt is still great, but just... And and the the best painting in, in that show for me was the one of the single figure because mm. it's actually... He's, he's almost doubled. There's like a shadow of this guy and it's the coupling of himself. And that's even stranger than just having two people writhing around. There's this kind of... The, the you know this man at once removed from himself it's really kind of frightening all of it is pretty frightening it's powerful stuff and this was obviously very autobiographical stuff for bacon who liked it rough mm. i mean as in terms of i mean we you know as as in getting beaten up i mean he kind of got a thrill out of getting beaten up and he had pretty a, a, a physical and a violent relationship with his with his lover right so yeah, and, it's and his, all there and with the work yeah yeah, yeah. and and george Dyer was uh, a a criminal wasn't he so he's yeah. a sort of london brute and that, you know, sort of comes across. But I think it's like I was just saying, I, the other week I reviewed the Da Vinci Drawings show at uh, the Queen's Gallery. And that's another one where if you grow up reading art history, loving art history, you're told that Da Vinci's the best. And so you, you go and see it and you go, he's the best. And I I'm try, I really want to not be told, like I want to let go of the weight of art history <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's forcing the opinion on me and making me believe that the way Da Vinci drew horse bollocks, which he drew a lot of, was brilliant. And so I have to try and be a bit more honest with it. And annoyingly, you go, oh no, he was really good at drawing horse bollocks. Like he was the he, best. He, he and George with, Stubbs would have had a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful edition of... Uh, and it's the same with Bacon. I, I want I want to be able to be a bit more cynical, but he's it's such an amazing show. They're actual, paintings. They're actual bollocks. Yeah, they are the bollocks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On what better way? <laughs> um, to end this edition of the Monocle Culture. By the way, we should say that Couplings, um, it's the Francis Bacon show that both um, Eddie and Ossian loved. Um, it's on at the Gagosian Gallery on Grosvenor Hill until August the 3rd. Uh, and that brings us to the end of today's show. You can see the Royal Academy of Art Summer Exhibition until the 12th of August, if you dare. Thank you to my guests today, Ossian Ward and Eddie Frankel, and of course to my producer, Holly Fisher. We'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, I've been Robert Bounds, and thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you.